The man stepped back. I say, there is no need for such violence. I only wanted to warn you that Lady Armitage has taken out a contract on your life. From across the room came Miss Darlington's dry, brusque laugh. Cecilia herself merely smiled, and even then with only one side of her mouth. That is hardly cause for breaking and entering. Lady Armitage has been trying to kill my aunt for years now. Not your aunt, he said. You. Hello. I'm Will, and this is my wife, Dallas. Hi! Welcome to another special episode of Not the Beginning, where I'll be reading a romance novel while Dallas takes a little break in between books of The Wheel of Time. Warning, this podcast may not be suitable for younger audiences and will contain spoilers. On this episode of Not the Beginning, we will be diving in and discussing India Holton's adult historical romance debut, The The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels. So, if you have not read The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels, either pause here and go read it, or proceed with caution. Today's summary will be taken from the back of the book. Cecilia Bassingwaite is the ideal Victorian lady. She's also a thief. Like the other members of the Wisteria Society crime sorority, she flies around England drinking tea, blackmailing friends, and acquiring treasure by interesting means. Sure, she has a dark and traumatic past and an overbearing aunt, but all things considered, it is a pleasant existence. Until the men show up. Ned Lightborn is a sometimes assassin who is smitten with Cecilia from the moment they meet. Unfortunately, that happens to be while he's under direct orders to kill her. His employer, Captain Morvath, who possesses a gothic abbey bristling with cannons and an unbridled hate for the world, intends to rid England of all its presumptuous women, starting with the Wisteria Society. Ned has plans of his own. But both men have made one grave mistake, never underestimate a woman. When Morvath imperils the Wisteria Society, Cecilia is forced to team up with her handsome would-be assassin to save the woman who raised her, hopefully proving, once and for all, that she is as much of a scoundrel as the rest of them. I read a second romance book. You did! I don't think it's as good as Red, White, and Royal Blue. I'm just going to get that out of the way now. I think Red, White, and Royal Blue is better. I, I maybe enjoyed this one more. Okay. They're two different things. Yes, I can agree. Like, I think Red, White, and Royal Blue is better. I I agree. I mean, it's my favorite book, so of course I agree. I think I enjoyed this one more because it's reliant less on the romance. (laughs) And that's, That's... like, maybe one of the main reasons why I think that. And I think that's why I picked it, too. Because this has a nice balance between non-romance plot and romance plot. I found myself wanting more explanation on things, which is that, like, it, it had my interest, right? Like, they have these flying houses. I'm like, okay, but, like, how do they fly? Right. There's, like, there's world building. Yeah. And it's good. And, and I, I liked it. And I wanted a little bit more of it. I wanted it to... There are bits in which I wanted it to take longer to do things and bits in, in which I wanted it to not take as long to do things. That's fair. Like, just kind of getting into it, I, I didn't particularly like that Cecilia went back and forth so many times between going, oh, I'm going to follow the rules my aunt set, or, oh, I'm supposed to be a pirate, I'm going to do my own thing. Like she's, she's spent the whole book flip-flopping between those two things, and it got, it got old about two-thirds of the way through, and I was like, okay. Yeah, that's fair. That is kind of her, that's her internal and it's just, conflict, it's so that is... It's not good. <laughs> that's part of why I think Red, White, and Royal Blue is better. The internal conflict was like, it was real, and it felt real, and it felt authentic, and it didn't feel authentic here. That's fair. I think that's because Red, White, and Royal Blue and Wisteria Society are kind of two different books. I would... I mean, other than actually being two yeah, different books? Yeah, like they're, but their points are different. Like, that's fair. I wouldn't necessarily call Red, White, and Royal Blue a rom-com. I mean, it sort of is, but there's... It's not as quippy. This book is filled with quips. It's like a solid 40% quips. Yeah. This this book is more absurd. Wisteria Society is... Very true. Absurd. I, I mean... I think sometimes to its detriment. They fly houses. They fly houses. And there's lady pirates and the relationship between the lady pirates is just a little bit absurd and yes so this book relies on that more whereas red white and royal blue tackles some very real emotions i mean it's like a coming out story there's a lot of emotional depth and that's not to say that there's not emotional depth inside this other if there wasn't i wouldn't have 
rated it five stars and I wouldn't have you read it. That's true. I have read romance novels where there's absolutely no emotional depth. Right. I still enjoy them. They don't have to have emotional depth. But this definitely isn't on the level of something like Red, White, and Royal Blue. Definitely not. And I think even... Even going beyond that, it's not as it's not as strongly written. Uh, there are a few. There are more things that I didn't like about it than I didn't like about Red, Red, and Royal Blue. Where my main complaint was that there were a, a couple of characters who were a little too gimmicky until you got into them, mm-hmm. and general romance story structure things that I I just personally am not a fan of. Where this had other things where I'm just like, I just don't think it's good. That's fair. At at points. There are things where I actually liked it. Like I said, I think the world building here was great. And I think Red, White, and Royal Blue struggles a little bit with its world building in that it's trying to be sort of like a, I'm going to say fun house reflection of the real world, but that's not quite right. It's like the real world, but twisted a little bit. And this is the real world, but twisted a bunch. Right. So it, that's one of the reasons I liked it is that like, yes, there's a certain amount of world building one, because it's a historical romance and reading a historical romance in a contemporary world, they have to do a little bit of world building because especially if it's written in contemporary times, like Jane Austen is historical romance now, but it wasn't at the time. It (laughs) It was contemporary when it was written. So there wasn't as much world building then as you would have to do now. Like you kind of have to explain certain rules in a historical romance to give them context. So there's that element of, I guess, world building. But in this, they kind of don't actually really even bother with that because there's a whole whole lot of the historical rules about like, oh, your ankles can't show and all of these like patriarchal rules are just thrown out the window, which I think is also why I enjoy it. But it does spend more time on explaining the things that just make it different than the regular world. And I I just say I liked... Uh, Cecilia and Ned. Uh, the only like it kind of goes back to Cecilia as a character who I think is nowhere near as strong as either Alex or Henry. She goes back and forth too many times with wanting to be with Ned, not wanting to be with Ned, and the yeah. the like forced breakup one comes way way too late. It's like I, I would say like three quarters of the way through the book instead of the expected two thirds. Usually, it actually is oh. three quarters. Really, it's that much earlier in Red, White, and Royal Blue. Yeah, it's a lot earlier in Red, White, and Royal Blue. That one is more, because that's not the main conflict. That's not the all is lost moment for them. That's just a pinch point. Okay. The all is lost moment is when they're outed. Okay. That's that all is lost moment. Because Fair. that is the moment that they really have to overcome something. Whereas the their breakup and separation is kind of just not even comparable to the Waterloo letters. Right. So. I, I, it doesn't feel like an all is lost moment. Like. Cecilia's upset about it, but she's like, I she chose it. And I think and that I think can both still understand. be like I think that can still be like an all is lost moment. I would think it would be when she's kidnapped. I think it's separated also here. Because like she's she spends some time, some some pages, and it's really only gonna be pages in a book like this, mm-hmm. like kind of like pretty devastated that she's been captured and is now has to face her father. Yeah, the pacing of this is a little bit unconventional. It's very roller coastery. Where it moves really fast and then it moves really slow. Then it moves really fast and then it moves really slow. And then the end is just like you're just like swerving around all over the place. A little bit. It doesn't land the ending as well as it could have. I think thinking on it longer, it's been a while since I've read this. And I didn't do a full reread before this podcast because I read it more recently than I had read read red red white and royal blue um but yeah i think the ending did feel a little bit quick especially yeah. with the twist yeah i mean it was a fake out death and those are rarely good but this one came way too late like with like 20 pages left it was like oh morbat's alive and then it did it did feel a little bit anticlimactic it did because it was like oh the queen well. just bashes him over the head with her crown and then right let's talk about the queen <laughs> Why? I don't know, and I loved it. <laughs> I kind of went into it expecting that I would have loved it, but then the first, like, one of the first things that's mentioned about the Queen is 
is like if she asks you to pull her finger, don't. And I'm like, is she? And she throws a toast. Child, like it was, it was. It struck me as one of those things where it's trying too hard to be random. That's fair. I think I just. It was just so absurd, and yeah. I just loved the absurdity of it, it. It was. I didn't mind the flying castle. Like, I, I feel that was like... one of the one things I told you before going into yes. the book. It was basically there's lady pirates and they fly houses and the queen flies a castle and. Yes. And if they hadn't set up the queen to be like this kooky old lady who throws toast and play, it, you know, does pull my finger jokes, like I feel like it would have been better. And like this even like part... even going all the way to the end with her bashing Morbath over the head, that would have been better if she was just like the queen. I can definitely see Queen Elizabeth II just like bashing someone over the head with a crown and being like, "All right, hmm. let's go." But it wouldn't have been an absurd thing with QE2. I don't... The problem that I have is that I just actually don't know all that much about Queen Victoria. So she very much could be that absurd. And I'm sure the historical people who are listening to this podcast might have comments. I don't know. We don't have a researcher to quickly stop and be like, this is who she was. So it's possible that that was actually a commentary on her kookiness or it's just maybe manufactured kooky queen. And either way, I kind of enjoy it. There are several characters also that I want to talk about. Okay. Um, the aunt, Miss mm-hmm. Darlington, is the worst. <laughs> a little bit. And not because she's super afraid of germs and needs everything to be super clean and is really uptight, despite being a pirate who steals people's houses and literally flies away with them. But one of the twists is that Morbath, the, the villain, is her son to an unknown father. And, you know, like, respect to her there. Like, she, well, she got it from... Uh, Charles Darwin, so, okay, I, he did marry his own cousin later, but, you know, Darwin's cool, and, but she gave up the child because she was just like, who cares, it's a child, causing the whole book. To preface some of that, just to make connections, the, Cecilia, our main character, her aunt, Miss Darlington, Miss Morbath is Cecilia's father. Yeah. So technically, her aunt is her grandmother. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, that's where that comes in. Yeah. I, like, the whole, and then, like, just, like, she's the worst, and, yeah. And it's just kind of played off for laughs a little bit, which seems weird. Like, that seems a little out of, pl- like, child abandonment and murder seems weirdly out of place in a romance. Like this. Like, an absurd romance like this. Yes. The... Yeah. So like Miss Darlington giving up Morbath for adoption and then also Morbath killing his own wife. Morbath kills his own wife. That's And that's, Ned's mother. And Ned's mother. That's why Cecilia is with her aunt slash grandmother yeah. beginning the book. Uh as it was mentioned, I, I'm realizing we're, you know, fifteen minutes into this and we have not talked about the actual plot of the book. We have not. <laughs> Quick just time. Cecilia Cecilia lives with her aunt, a lady pirate or a lady scoundrel. Ned shows up, tries to kill Cecilia. It's revealed that Ned was hired both by Captain Morbath and by another member of the Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels, Lady Armitage. They like to hire people to kill each other all the time. Yep. And then they don't care I'll, after. I'll get to that because that's <laughs> fucking weird. Uh, they go on... They go to, like, get together with other members of the Wisteria Society. This is back with Cecilia and Darlington. They, the Wisteria Society, gets drugged and kidnapped along with all of their houses, aside from one, which I don't think they could fly. I don't remember. Maybe? I don't yeah. think there was a house. There, w- No, all of the houses got taken. I thought one didn't. No, one flew off. The traitor flew off. They were betrayed by one of their own. But, like, what is betrayal when you can try to kill each other? It's weird. The politics within the Wisteria Society make no sense. And I also kind of love it for that. I just accepted all of the absurdity at its face. This I is, didn't question it. I mean, it. this is kind of the flip side of you reading The Wheel of Time, right? Where you're, like, you're questioning things that are just like, okay, this is fantasy. And I'm questioning things yeah. because <laughs> I'm doing this for a podcast. Um, right. So they they all get flown away to Morvat's flying ship, which is actually a, a, an abbey. Yep. Cecilia, Ned, and a, a couple of the other children of the, of the Wisteria Society are left to, like, try and figure out what to do. Cecilia and Ned go to find Armitage, who didn't show up to the meeting and has a house. They don't get her help. 
But first they stay at a hotel where some like almost sexy times happen. Yep. They take, they just like hijack a shed, which is a, a sentence. They fly the shed to Morvath's ship. Ned like quadruple crosses Cecilia and knocks her out with chloroform. Morvath is there and wants to marry her off to her cousin, her cousin Frederick. Who is a character. Shenanigans happen. The Wisteria Society breaks free but they could have done it the whole time. Take all their houses, blow up the abbey. Morvath is assumed dead. Meanwhile, one of the other Wisteria Society children and... Constantinopla? Yeah. And her, like, fencing instruct... No, it's just, like, a random dude. Yeah, her boyfriend. Tom. Random dude, Tom, and... Who thought she was... Who thought she was 19, but she's actually 16, so, like, what the fuck? Now they're gonna get married. (laughs) Um, They go off, and they, like, make their way to Queen Victoria's house, a.k.a. Windsor Palace. (laughs) They get advised to not pull Queen Victoria's finger, and then Queen Victoria's like, give me the spell that'll make my my shit fly, and then they do, and when all the Wisteria Society ladies break free of Captain Morbath, Morbath, the Queen shows up and is like, I have a castle. And And a cannon for some reason. Well, it's a castle. They have cannons. I don't think they have cannons at Windsor Palace, but... Not currently. That's fair. They might have done. I I know nothing about history. Morbath gets blown out of the sky and we're caught up with both of the, like, small groups. We spend very little time with random dude Tom and other chick whose name I can't really figure out how to pronounce. Then they spend some time in the castle. Actually, before they spend some time in the castle, Ned and Cecilia fuck. Yep. In the woods in a shed. No. No, in a house. In, the, in her house. In her house. Yes. And then they catch up, and, and everybody's like, ho, 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 you, you were experiencing technical difficulties. And everybody knows what happened, including the queen. Um, <laughs> the queen's like, I'm going to throw a banquet. And then she throws a banquet for a fuckload of pirates. Morvath's not dead. And then she bashes and then Morvath she bashes over him the head. And exiles him. And then... And then Cecilia and Ned get together, and yeah. she decides to just go off and do her own thing. Yep. Not as part of the Wisteria Society. Yep, she decides, I'm going to be a full scoundrel and not one of these scoundrels with rules. I'm right. going to go off and pirate with Because Ned's like, Ned. Ned's like, you're a pirate. And she's like, oh yeah, I am a pirate. Let's go pirate together. Then they steal a library to live in and make it fly. Which, like, that's a mood. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, very quick plot synopsis in five minutes for a 330-page book. That was, actually, that was pretty good. I just recently read it. Yeah. <laughs> So, a couple of people I need to talk about in addition to the Queen and Darlington. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is, generally speaking, the Wisteria Society as a whole. Because what the fuck are they? Like, it's okay. It's okay to hire somebody to kill an adopted daughter, basically. But it's not okay to betray them to somebody who's going to kill all of them. Actually, though, at the end, they decide it's okay. Because they're like, oh, well, why did you do it? And she's like, money. And they're like, oh, fair. I would have done the same thing. And then they tell her to put some in the pot. And then they absolutely wouldn't have done the same thing because they all hate Morbath. And they're all trying to keep this secret from Cecilia that Morbath is like her aunt's son. Yeah. And everyone knows except Cecilia. Ned even knows. And Ned tries to tell her, but doesn't. Ned, uh, yeah. Ned knows so much. Ned knows so much. I liked Ned. I I love Ned. I liked several of the characters. He is, like, on my list of, like, top-tier book boyfriends. Not, like, my book boyfriend, but just, like, book love interests. Okay. So, the Wisteria Society is weird as fuck. Yep. I don't understand their rules. Why bother having them if you can just break them all the time? They're, like, lawful chaotic in the worst possible way. Especially in how they treat Cecilia. Because they're like, we have all of these rules. And if you follow the rules, maybe you'll be one of us. But also, we make the rules. So even if you do follow all the rules, you can't be one of us. Yeah, they keep... That is the big conflict. Is that, like, she is... Is that the big conflict? Or... Because I would argue that the flying castle fight is Her internal conflict. conflict. That's, like, her big internal conflict is that she... She desperately wants to be part of the was like part of the big leagues within the Wisteria Society, and she keeps trying to follow all of the rules, and it still isn't working. She meets Ned, and he's the opposite of those things. Like he clearly doesn't follow any rules but his own, because right. he's known as four different people. He's Eduardo De Luca to Lady Armitage. He's Edward Lightborn to Morbath. He's Ned Smith, the captain of the Royal Service. He's Teddy Lux, who was a fencing master. Yep. I think he's got a couple other identities thrown in there. It's very heavily implied that he has an identity for just about everybody he meets. Right. Those are just the ones we know. And he just... 
he's a rogue. He he's does rogue. he does whatever he wants. Yeah. And so she's got like this conflict between these two things that she wants. And she right. wants to one be with Ned, but I think also just be that free. Right. And, and she also wants to be part of the Wisteria Society. And after all of this stuff, I mean she saves the Wisteria Society and they still don't let her in. Right. And they basically tell her, like, if you go off of Ned, you can't be one of us. Right. Which I but, just like, And they also right. kind of say, like, but if you stay, you also can't be one of us. So you might as well go get some. Right. That's basically what the ending is. It's very, it's it's weird and it doesn't land right. That's, I, because, like, I just don't like how often Cecilia goes back and forth. Like, it would it'd be one thing if she had, like, a couple of moments where she's like that. But it's, like, in every chunk of scenes across eight throughout the whole book she has this moment of like oh i need to follow the rules and then something happens to make her disregard the rules and then by the end of it she's like but i need i really should follow the rules it's like every single time it follows that exact pattern yeah until the very end where she doesn't do it and she goes off the net yeah and if it had happened like if it had alternated times where she's like okay i'm following the rules and i'm gonna do it this way and then the next time she was like, okay, I followed the rules and it didn't turn out exactly how I wanted, so I'm going to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. If she had alternated, it would have been better. Or if she, if there had been fewer times of it, it would have been better. That's fair. I think that's kind of a, just a thing inside romance novels is that, like, if there is a moment where she fully commits to the, like, whatever the opposite of her main thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, Red, White, and Royal Blue, it's... They, they want to be they want to be in a status quo versus they want to be together and it's not until after they get outed that they really fully do the whole I am committed to you thing right they were still kind of they had a leg in both worlds yeah and but... that's the whole thing with romance novels that like they've they've got a lesson or at least good romance novels, there's a lesson that the character has to learn and their love interest is just the one who helps them learn that lesson. See, I don't I don't feel that from this. I think it's not as heavy handed, but there if she did ever like go, you know what, I'm just gonna completely do my own thing, then she's learned her lesson, which is that she needs to stop her lesson for her is I need to not be so reliant on the mysterious society. And I agree she... with that and I think that's that's part of why like I think it was good, right? Like at the end like that lesson does get learned, but the other thing that she's she has to learn is that there's not there's a middle ground between following the rules that somebody sets for you and doing whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. And that is you have a personal code that you follow. And that's kind of where she lands. Yeah. She's like I'm going to do things the way that I think are right and oftentimes I think that will align with the wisteria society, but she's going to do them in her own way. Right. I mean, because she was raised by these women, so she does have some of their codes. Right. But I think she's... And, and so, like, she just spends so long kind of flipping between, like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow the rules as they were set out for pirates with inconsistent rules to the law, or to the, to the letter, or I'm just gonna do whatever the fuck I want, damn the consequences, and damn everybody else who gets in my way. Right. There's a middle ground there. Right. And I think she finds it. And I think Ned is kind of that middle ground as well, because he does... Ha- he has all these identities. He has all of these seemingly conflicting motivations. Right. But he has a personal code. Right, and that code is revealed at the end, I think, very effectively. Mm-hmm. But... I think she didn't, Cecilia didn't make progress towards that. It just kind of happened. It just kind of happened. Like, like she got together with Ned and it clicked. Yeah. For her. And like that, that can happen in a romance and that's fine, but it's, it's less fine when that's the only reason for it happening. That's fair. I think that's just a difference in, I think that's one of the differences in why you don't read romance novels. Yeah, totally. So the other character I need to talk about is, um, the random, uh, daughter of one of the mysterious. Constantinople. Yes, her. She's the worst. Yes. What the fuck? (laughs) She lies about her age to sleep with some random guy. Random guy, Tom. You know, she liked him. She wanted to sleep with him. Yeah, but like... Yeah. And it's implied that she like really tricked him. She went above and beyond normal lying to trick him. Yeah. Because the she was raised by the Wisteria Society. And then she like gaslights him into doing whatever she wants. Yeah, she's the worst. That's... Yeah. What the fuck? No, she's the worst. 
What is that? How do I avoid ever meeting somebody like that? And what is that? Yeah. If she had been a bigger part of the book, I might have cared more. But she's on like five pages. That's true. So. She, she is not very present, but she made a big impression. That's fair. It's like, God damn. Poor Thomas. Poor Thomas. So. Yeah. She's... It's not not what you want. No, it's not. So, yeah. I think that that's like all the characters I wanted to talk about. I can talk a little bit about Morbath, who's just like comic book, like bad comic book villain. Yep, and I love it. And it it actually works. Yeah, it does. It works. Like for something as absurd as this book, it it works pretty well because he's just like, yeah, I'm going to kill all women who want to do anything. Yeah. They They should only ever like lie in bed and produce children and maybe not even that. He he's got some he's got some gay vibes, which is unfortunate. He's got I like didn't a, pick up on that. He's got some like no woman is good enough for me, only men are vibes. I just read that as toxic masculinity, but it could also be. That is an element of it. And that's kind of unfortunate, but um I, yeah, I just read it as toxic masculinity, not necessarily any sort of like I'm not interested. Not not in like women. a huge not like a huge way, but like a, a more in like a narcissistic way, I think actually. Like he's so self-involved. He's very self-involved. And he's just starting with the Wisteria Society. He's going after the queen next, which is why Constantinople and right. Thomas go after the queen because they're like he's going to come after you next. And she's like I have a castle. And like <laughs> Yeah, it's very get... it has very much like I we have a Hulk vibes. <laughs> A little bit, and like I kind of get why you would want to go talk to the queen, but also like, yeah, the abbey can fly. It's still a castle. Yeah. Like, what what are you gonna do? But, it's it's know, a castle. Tell, just give her a heads up. They're just giving yeah. her a heads up, and then she's like, well, let's go fight him. I want him. I want my castle to fly. Yeah, I'm gonna go fly my castle and fight this abbey. Sure. Monks everywhere. <laughs> rolling in their graves so yeah Morbeth is is really actually a little interesting yeah uh, I kind of I... liked that there was a villain yes that was that was interesting and there wasn't a villain in red white and royal blue and well there kind of was but he's not a character he's just a set piece the guy running against his yeah mother, he's, he's just a set piece he is the one who causes the all is lost moment because he's the one behind right but that. you never, never really interact him. No, he, there's this because it has a secondary plot that is not just romance. There is yeah. an opportunity for another for a villain. Yeah, and sometimes in romance novels there is also just a, a villain. I mean, like Little Mermaid, current boyfriend who's who's not good. Yeah, guy who wants to steal her. Guy who you know, angry boss who takes all of her time. Any of those are villains. Villains, but this has a villain that's not just like oh you're in you. Usually a romance novel villain is present for like the first quarter and then is dispatched. With. Sure. Like like the angry boss is usually dispatched with, or yeah. like you know the ex boyfriend or the current girlfriend or you know whoever it is is usually dispatched with. And I do enjoy that this has an actual villain. Because yeah. it really solidifies that, like, external plot versus internal plot. Like, it there's Because there's usually external conflict and internal conflict in a good romance novel. And in this one, the external conflict is very obvious. It's more that. Yep. And surprisingly, it didn't um, It didn't uh, do what I thought it was going to do, which is, like, Morbath didn't really cause the strife between Cecilia and Ned. No. I, I think partially because of the absurdity of it all, where, like, Ned's like, yeah, I chloroformed you. But also, a hundred pages ago, he had just chucked a grenade at her. Yeah. So, like, it's not that big of a deal. And I, I think I actually liked that, where the villain wasn't the cause of the breakup. It was just something that they had to overcome. Yeah. And, like, even here, like, I thought their breakup would feel forced, given how late and how, uh, let's say, because, like, they kind of get together a little suddenly. Yeah. Like, they flirt with it for a really long time, but they don't start making moves towards it until, like... Until the end, and then... No, the inn. The inn. Which is yeah. about midway through, so that actually... That's the midpoint. That's point. true. But that's for, true. They're, they're making moves towards it for 50% of the book. The only reason they're not big moves is because, like, they've got to go save a bunch of yeah. pirates. Like, but, like, even that, like, it didn't the feel like... Like, the author did a really good job of making it not dumb. Yeah. Like, it, it made sense for Cecilia, as unfortunate as I think her character is 
uh, with the whole flip-flopping. Like, it made sense for her to be like, I want this other thing so I can't be with you. And Ned, to his credit, he's like, yeah. Yeah, if you understands. want that, If you want that, that won't work. Like, there's, like, the conflict isn't manufactured between the two of them. He's not angry. Right. There isn't really even conflict. It's just, like, they can't be together. Right. He's he's very accepting of that with her, and it leads to a great line that I liked, and it was, you know, he's come, he comes out of a room, and the queen's like, oh, did you find what you were looking for? And he's like, turns out it wasn't mine to begin with. Yeah. Which is, like, poor Ned. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, and I think that actually worked pretty well. Yeah, like it's it's not a manufactured conflict, which I no. think I it's why I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I that's one of the things I like the least about the romance genre is that it's really it's really a fraught ground for manufactured conflict. Yes, it is, and usually that comes from the miscommunication trope, which is one of my least favorite tropes. We're reading the Wheel of Time. It's different with a romance novel. It is. It's just it like really is. it. Re- it's just different, like. Yeah, especially because, like, when things are moving so quickly, it's like, okay, why are we spending half the book on this thing when so much has changed in the situation that they're in? And usually in romance novels, it's just that, like, you literally could be having the conversation right now, but instead you're getting mad. Right. It's like, if you just took a breath and then said five words, it would be done. Right. And in a book when a page-long conversation, in a book where a page-long conversation is, like, seven conversations exaggerating but it could be two or three like that just doesn't feel like it feels like they're taking they have a they have an argument and then they don't have an argument and then they're having the same argument and then they're not having an argument and they're still having the same argument that they were having the first time but they just at no point did they stop to actually have a conversation yeah and the manufactured conflict thing is it's valid and like it's very real inside the genre and it's something it's a criticism that I do have I just read a book recently that I was thoroughly enjoying and then all of a sudden there was a conflict and I was like mm, where'd this come from okay yeah cool I'm like eh. didn't ruin the book but like if I go to reread it I might just like stop skip. <laughs> I might skip <laughs> yeah totally totally fair but this doesn't do that this doesn't do it and I think it I think it works pretty well and like they get together they they kind Kind of break up in an organic way it's it's quicker than i would have liked uh i think partially as a result of there being an actual villain and a secondary plot mm-hmm. I, it could have lasted a little longer than like 30 pages between them breaking up and getting back together fair but both events felt fairly organic yeah Getting back together actually felt less organic than breaking up, if only because, again, Cecilia spent so long going back and forth that when they get back together and she's doing her own thing, it's like, okay, but in ten minutes she's going to change her mind. Possible. She does, she's a little wishy-washy. A little bit. But I think I kind of enjoyed it. There were times where I did. Uh, The hotel. Yeah. That was where Nova's at its best. And then after that, I was like, okay, you've hit your best, and now you're not even hitting your average. Right. Like, all the stuff with her in Morbeth's Abbey was awful. With her and Ned in Morbeth's Abbey. Her scenes with her cousin were great, and I liked the, like, flashback bit where she's flashing back to the day her mother died. Or the yeah. day her mother was killed by her father. Who, we didn't necessarily fully touch on it, but, like, Morbeth has the audacity to blame the Wisteria Society for him murdering his wife. Yeah. Which is just so absurd. It's like just it the really audacity. Yep. Which plays into that whole comic book villain thing. It does. And it, it works. It really and like, honestly, given who his mother is, it fucking tracks. Fair. <laughs> fair. That's some shit she'd do. That that's what they all do. It is. They all they all victim blame. They do. They're like, oh well if she didn't want it if she didn't want me to take that. Why did she leave it on display? Right. Or, like, if they didn't want me to steal their house, why was their door unlocked? Yeah, there's a lot of victim blaming and putting something on everyone but themselves. Right. And like, yeah, they're pirates. That's what they do, and but they're you pirates. Ned doesn't really do that. No, he's like, yeah, I stole it. Yeah, he's, he's just like, yeah, I stole it. He's I'm a pirate. Around. Yeah, he's like, I'm a pirate. I'm gonna pirate. He has a little bit of Jack Sparrow vibes, but less gay. Does Jack Sparrow have particularly gay vibes? A little bit. He's got... There's something going on with Captain Jack Sparrow. (laughs) I don't really know what it is. I was going to say Ned has a little bit of Han Solo vibes. That too. Yes, actually. Han Solo vibes. I was just going for the pirate thing, but... He's got a... Well, is Han Solo not a pirate? He's a space pirate. I was just going... I mean, he's kind of... He's kind of piratical. No, actually, yeah. He's got Han Solo vibes, which... Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Right. He's going to own up to shit, although Han Solo definitely wouldn't. But yeah, no. He, you know, he he's like, yeah, I stole it. I'm yeah. a pirate. That's what I do. Right, yes. I was hired. Like, hello, I was hired to kill you. Here's a grenade. 
Would you like to sit here while it explodes? <laughs> yes or no? He's a very polite assassin. Because he doesn't actually want to assassinate her. Yeah. He wants to fuck her. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about that. This okay. was your first, like, real spicy scene. Because the stuff in Red, White, and Royal Blue is more implied. Yeah. There's a lot more of it, which makes it more of a spicy. In this, book, there is but... explicit insertion. Yes. <laughs> Not necessarily explicit insertion of a penis, but explicit insertion of hands. Yes. The There is more anatomical description. Yes. Going on. I am currently listening to the Greenbone Saga, which is perhaps spicier. Okay. I don't mind reading it. You don't like listening. I don't to like it. listening to it. <laughs> That's just weird. Like That's I fair. don't need some random Canadian rapper, like narrating people having sex. It's like this is just like if I wanted porn, I would just look some up on the internet. I don't want it. That's. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I I am re- reading an audiobook now, listening to an audiobook. And it's my first, like, romance novel audiobook. Because I usually don't do audiobooks. I exclusively do audiobooks now. Yeah. Well, not exclusively, because I just read this book, but... But... It was a little, like, it wasn't a super spicy scene that it was being narrated to me. So I'm like, all right, I can ease my way in. But, like, I don't know how people listen to, like, full-on erotica audiobooks. Alone with their pants off. (laughs) I don't know. I don't do it, so I wouldn't know. I don't know. I just, like, I know people, like, on Bookstagram and BookTok, and they're just like, yeah, I'm just, like, at the grocery store, like, listening to Smut. That's and I'm like, weird. how do you do that and keep a straight face? That's weird. I don't, like... I'm gonna call it, that's weird. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't, don't listen to porn in public. Just like you wouldn't watch porn in public. Yeah. Don't listen to it in public. That's fair. Don't intentionally arouse yourself when there are people around who may not want to see that that's no that's fair it's but yeah so spicy scene yeah a little bit mm-hmm. i thought the way you had described it i thought there were going to be like two spicy scenes no there's just one yeah. there's just the one that's all they really have time for that is true they don't they do a lot of stuff yeah they hop around the english countryside quite a bit they do there's lots of hopping around and because but, they gotta but, go rescue people yeah and, then... and i didn't mind that i didn't mind here i didn't mind the hopping around as much as i did in red white and royal blue because they actually like it mattered where they were yeah more than in red white and royal blue yeah like it, it mattered there because there were some things that can only happen in england and some things that can only happen in the u.s and that's that was fine but when it was just like they were just randomly going to events Mm-hmm. It's like okay, but like, like, why are we hopping around so much? Fair. Here is like okay. Well, they're at a, they're at a town, and then they have to go travel. It was maybe maybe it was that they were hopping around, but they were hopping around in a linear path. They were just keep. They were keep. They were just keep swimming. Right. They just kept swimming, and the hopping around that happens between scenes was kind of going to different characters to see what yeah. they're checking in with other people because there are multiple POVs in this. Yeah, and I, you know. It moved faster than I would have liked because I like slow things, but... That's fair. Uh, I, th- I think it was perfectly acceptable. How did you feel about the multiple POV? Because Red, White, and Royal Blue is sole yeah, POV I... Alex. And this is still third person... Could have done with more uh, Darlington. Okay. Like, she's the worst, but I wanted to see her point of view. Um, I liked the split between Cecilia and Ned. I did not like spending any time with random... Constantinople? Yeah, with her and random Tom. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I could have dealt without Lady Armitage. I didn't mind that. I would have liked to see that from Ned's perspective. I think Yeah. I think I would have just preferred any scene with Ned or Cecilia in it. And if it was in someone else's POV that isn't Ned or Cecilia, I'm like, why? I want this in Ned or Cecilia. I think what probably would have been better for me would have been just a third POV instead of using random people as stitch scenes. That's fair. And, and, you know, there's a trade-off there where, like, you get fewer things and you get a little bit less broad of a view of what's happening across the whole book. But I feel like it would have been a little bit more, like, narratively consistent. Okay, yeah. And, you know, to go to the scene with Lady Armitage, we get her POV. And I understand why we get her POV, because if yeah. it had been in Ned's head, then there wouldn't have been any reason for us to not have more information 
there. Yeah. Which, and at that point, you know, we're still trying to figure out who Ned is. Yeah. And I remember that's when I read it the first time. Not knowing who Ned is and just like, oh, he's this super charming guy. But wait, he's this guy to this person and he's this person to this person. And just trying to figure Ned out mm-hmm. was enjoyable. Like, yeah. I enjoyed that part on my read, reread through. Like, I, I knew who he is. Right. So... I was able to pick up on stuff yeah. differently, but I did remember that that was a high point when I first read it. Yeah, definitely. I I don't know who I think the third POV should have been. Probably Darlington because she gets kidnapped and she goes to Morbath. Then we wouldn't wouldn't have gotten the queen. Is the we thing. wouldn't have gotten the queen. I don't know that we needed the queen. That's fair. Like like her showing up didn't matter. Yeah. Because by that time they had already basically torn the Abbey apart. They had, and I think they could have easily worked the queen in towards the end because Ned did say that he's, you know, part of the royal service. So, like, he could have been like, I have to go check in. Right. And, yeah, I just don't think the queen was necessary at all. And it would have made it a little tighter. There were moments of this that I could have used a little bit more tightness with the narration. but The end. The end. But I also, like, this is a, a debut novel. Yeah. And for a debut, this is... Excellent. Sure. Like, great. I have no point of reference, really. I mean, I guess Red, White, and Royal Blue is also a debut, so I do have a point of reference, and it's an unfavorable one, but... Yeah. Like, I didn't... I didn't mind it. I think it was a... I think it was, like, 90% of a solid book with not a bad ending, but a weird ending. It was weird, yeah. It's not it's not, a, it's not a bad ending. Yeah. It like is it, weird, but the whole book is weird, so that's why I was kind of, right. like, cool. Like, this whole book is weird and absurd, and... Yeah, the absurdity was nice in places. Like, like the, the premise is absurd. There are lady pirates who have flying houses, and it feels like she just kind of, like turned the absurdity up just like half a notch too much mm. and if she had brought it back back in a little bit like pleasance the the woman who thinks she can see ghosts all the time pleasance is weird like i don't think they needed as much of that that's fair and i don't like i don't i don't think they needed the queen um i don't think um yeah i just think it could have been tightened up a little bit like the the wisteria society was set up to be like a bunch of like noble thieves but then end up being just like kind of inconsistent petty people which is pretty realistic but doesn't i think land as well in a book like it doesn't land i think as well to have them be so inconsistent and also have cecilia be so inconsistent where she's going back and forth and part of it is because the Wisteria Society is going back and forth. But what she's going back and forth between is the same thing. Like, she's going back and forth between following the rules of the Wisteria Society, which don't exist, <laughs> or not following the rules of the Wisteria Society, and you can't follow something that doesn't exist. Or you can't not follow something that doesn't exist. Yeah, that's fair. So, like, it's like... Y- if they had, like, a set of rules and, like, operating procedures, like, if they had, even if they had just, like, exiled Jane Fairweather for betraying them. Wasn't Jane. Wasn't Jane? It was her grandmother. It was her grandmother. Cecilia oh, right, assumes right, right. that it's Jane, and then Ned tries to interrupt her, but she's drunk, so. So, when the elder Fairweather betrays them, like, if they had kicked her out, that would have been consistent enough to where I think it's like, okay, they have a code. Like, hiring an assassin to kill each other is one thing, but, like, betraying everyone. Like, right. Because at that point, it's like, oh, you're just betraying the person. And usually, they don't actually end up killing each other. They just hire an assassin, and it's to send a message that, like, oh, you pissed me off. Right. And that's, that's fine, and that could be construed as something between two people, but... She betrays the entire society. Right, and they're all just like, okay, well, buy some tea. Yeah, and, and they say just, like, just put 10% in the kitty. And I was like, 10%? Really? That's like, it? That, yeah, that's really low. That's really low. Like, it's like, hi, we're going to take everything. Because uh, Miss Darlington gets shot. Yep. Morvath shoots her. We didn't even talk about that. Morvath shoots her because he's like, you suck as a mother, and he's right. <laughs> yeah, that is the one moment where it's like, yeah, that's fair. It's his villain origin story. And... Right. And, yeah, no, he's absolutely right in shooting her. And her, she's the, she's the villain. If she hadn't, if she hadn't abandoned Morvath, he might have turned out just a normal happy boy. Maybe the Wisteria Society kind of mistreats their men a little bit. Any more than men mistreat women? No. Which is, I guess, not. (laughs) 
<laughs> if you're saying that. I wouldn't necessarily even I would not see it. Want, I would not want to be a son raised by them. Marrying into it or, or being a partner of one of them is that's, one thing. Yeah, being raised by them would absolutely suck. Because I can see be, that. Because all of the all of their girls turn out awful too. And if that's how they treat the people they prefer. I don't think that they want I don't think that children in that environment, no matter what. They're pirates. They're pirates. Like, I do I appreciate the little bit above like the men stay home and raise the children. I actually I appreciated that. I, I, was know, like, I appreciated okay, like, it clearly, too. Clearly clearly she's trying to flip it. Yeah. I'm like, that's fine. I liked that. It was all of the other stuff that kind of implied that, like, okay, even if Morbath was raised by them. I didn't necessarily pick up on it the first time, but I think... Uh, it's not... There's not that much of it. Right. That's why, like, I did also appreciate just on the patriarchy thing. Ned makes a joke about maybe I'm going to create my own the society of male scoundrels. And she's like, you're about a thousand years too late, and it's called the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, go, Cecilia, go. So, yeah, like, I appreciated that she flipped, like, like the author, like, flipped it, right? And it's like, you have this society of women, and they're the ones who go do the thieving and earn the money, and the men take care of the houses. And they stay home, and they raise right. the babies. Right, and that's, yeah, sure, yeah. Like, well, we that's don't know, we flip. don't really know anything about the children that grow up in the Wisteria Society besides Cecilia and Constantinopla. Right, who both turn out kind of eh. And Jane, who's just kind of wishy-washy. Well, yeah. But, like, not in a Cecilia way where she's just kind of like, eh. She just kind of goes with stuff. She just kind of goes with it. She's not very, she's not wishy-washy as much as she is just, like, weaker than you'd think. Yeah. And it's not necessarily weak. Like, I don't think she's weak. But in comparison to all of the women of the Wisteria Society... They're like, what yeah. are you doing? But again, I mean, uh, again, they kind of prohibit that from happening with how they raise their children, right? Like, Cecilia is an extreme case because they're like united in not allowing her to be a person. But they they kind of gaslight their children, yeah, all the time. And you know, is that kind of realistic? Probably. It was. It's a fictional 1800s where they're pirates. But also, like, damn, be better parents. Fair. Yikes. Jane does just kind of run off and get married. That's, yeah. She's just like, I'm done. I don't want to be a pirate. Okay, bye. She's, that's the thing. It's like, she's not weak. She just didn't want to be a pirate. Right. And so she's just kind of going along with stuff. And they're like, Jane's all weak. She hasn't even robbed a bank yet. And she's like, because I don't want to. Right. I just want to read my books. Oh, there's this nice, handsome man who wants to marry me. And he says that I would take, I would take great care of the house. I would love to do that. It, it, she's like, I want, yeah. I want to be a matriarch of the house. I want to stay home and yeah. take care of the house and take care of the children, yeah. which is a choice that she makes. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a strong choice for her. It's just not what the Wisteria Society would have picked. Right. The important thing is that that's what she wants. Yeah. And it's clearly not what she was. It's not a want she was given. No. Like some children are given things to want. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the problem with the patriarchy is that men are given certain things that they should want and often do want. And women are given other things that they should want and often do want. Yeah. And any breaking out of those two categories is seen as bad. Right. And then those people who sometimes to a fault, the people who break out, look at the people who choose to do the things that go along with the prescribed roles and go, well, you're just not right. Right. And it, it's just kind of about what you want out of life. Right. Yeah. I do, like, I appreciate the commentary of the Wisteria Society being, like, very feminist, but they are, like, almost to a fault. I don't know about, I mean, like, for, like, a, for a book this absurd, I don't think it's necessarily to a fault. Yeah, I think if it was a more serious book, yeah, it would be bad. Yeah. But, but it's not. It's absurd. It's, like, they, and... like, they're houses on land. Of course, things are flipped around from what you might expect in the world larger than the Wisteria Society, right? Like, outside of the Wisteria Society, women stay at home and men go and work and houses stay on the ground. And inside the Wisteria Society, <laughs> men stay at home and women go to work and houses fly. So, and... like, it's an intentional swapping of things that you might expect as normal. And also, just to bring up, because I brought it up a little bit earlier. 
earlier, but like some of the rules in a historical romance, you know, like, ah, oh, your ankles and yeah. those types of things. Like these women have no problem shucking their dresses and just running around in their bloomers. That's true. And corsets. They're just like, this dress is cumbersome. I'm going to get rid of it. And the entirely scene inside the abbey None of these women are wearing their overdresses. They're all just in their like yeah. stockings and bloomers and corsets. Right. They're they're wearing their underwear, running around an abbey and kicking ass. Yeah. <laughs> and like that would be scandalous. Yeah. If written in the time period it's set in. It would be. Just scandalous. But of course houses fly. But yeah, houses so. fly, so one thing we haven't touched on that I I want to, not in not in a huge detail, but it's a nice like undercurrent throughout the book that um there is like literary references throughout it, which I kind of appreciated. Yes. Like what people read is a big part of who they are as a character. Yes, there's a lot of and I I feel like I remember reading somewhere that the opening line of each of the chapters is a play on a Jane Austen quote or That wouldn't surprise me. And I think I recognize some of them and it may not all be Jane Austen, but I think they're plays on the original romance novels. Yeah. Those quotes are sort of morphed from that. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I do appreciate. But yeah, Cecilia reads and yeah. Ned reads. Yeah. And... and like what they read tells the audience and each other like details about them as a person. And it's not like they're just reading a book for fun. They like understand books and they understand why other people might like certain types of books. Like Morvath's taste in books is a plot point almost. Well, because he thinks that he's a Bronte. Right. Because but... Darlington slept with Charles Darwin and some Bronte. Right. And so he's like, oh, I'm descendant. And he's like, no, you're probably not. You're probably just a descendant of Darwin. Sorry, dude. Right. Oh, no. Your dad later married his cousin. <laughs> Yikes. And now you're having your daughter marry her cousin. Hmm. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, so I... I... Like, there's not a whole bunch for me to get into on that, because, like, I, I didn't, I haven't read most of the books that they were referencing. I've I have never read, either. never read Wuthering, Wuthering, Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights, however the fuck you pronounce it. So, like, I can't comment on that. Uh, I, I will find it kind of, or I will mention that I find it kind of ironic that Miss Darlington doesn't know Darwin's first name, but is then reading on the evolution of species. Um, What? Did she pick that up after? I hope she picked it up after. Otherwise, god damn. <laughs> Get your shit together, you crazy old lady. She is a crazy old lady. So I think that just about covers all of the book. I think so. I do want to touch on someone we haven't talked about at all. Oh. Alex. Alex. Yeah. Um, he's and not a big part. He's not a huge part, but I want to touch on him because there is a sequel to this book coming out uh, next month. Oh, man. March 15th, and it will be Alex. Okay. And a witch. Alex and a witch. So, just wanted to touch on him. One, mention him, because he exists. I like him. He didn't leave that big of an impact on me. <laughs> he didn't necessarily, when I first read it, there were bits that I liked. Yeah, he's, um, he's a best friend, and he fits the best friend trope. He does. He's His description, when he comes in, I do enjoy... I'm trying to find it in my notes. Pirate, smuggler, general rogue. Yeah. And he kind of plays that, he kind of fits that bill. Like, yeah. he's, you know. He seems to be very much a colleague of Ned's in every way. Yeah, they're both roguish and do what they want and they steal houses and they're pirates. And have a thousand different identities. And have a thousand different identities. And they truly, like, they realize that each other are terrible people, but they care deeply for each other. Yeah. Later, after some stuff happens and Alex meets up with Cecilia again, he's like, did you want to marry Ned? And she's <laughs> like, what? He's like, I think you should. But also, if you hurt him, I will be very displeased. <laughs> yeah. But he's very polite about it. He it got, he does give that. It's the 1800s polite, if you hurt my best friend, I'll kill you. Yeah. Which I just love. I love yeah. I honestly, like, I know it's cliche trope, but I do love the I gotta sit you down. Yeah. And tell you that if you hurt my best friend, I'm gonna kill you thing. Love it. Yeah. And I liked this more polite version. He didn't make a big impact on me. <laughs> That's fair. He existed. He was a character in the book. He was. He was fun, though. I like him. Sure. I'm excited to read the next book. I don't sure. know if I will have you read the next book. Who knows? I'll just start reading romance series. I mean... For this podcast and this podcast only. <laughs> I could not I could not read these for myself. I think my mission is to find a book 
that you would pick up on your own. That's gonna be hard. <laughs> or at least find one that you so thoroughly enjoy that I can just find a lot more like it. Because that's the great thing about romance novels is you find one thing that you like. There's probably 30 books like it. Try 3,000. 3,000. <laughs> it's like, oh, you like Red, White, and Royal Blue? Is it the enemies to lovers? Is it the royal? Is it the gay royals? I got lots of options for Who you. Who knows? The gay bit from Red, White, and Royal Blue does stand out as good to me. So, gay. Maybe. Okay. We'll see. Maybe I'll have you read some sapphic romance next. Maybe. I mean, you kind of get to decide here. I do. So, <laughs> I'm at your mercy. Sapphic historical romance? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't read any yet, but there's some on my list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of lists that we need to get through, let's do our favorite moments. Yes. Or let's do our recurring segments, I think, which is just our favorite moments and rating. Yes. My favorite moments, rating, and I think general trope discussion. So, favorite moment. Okay. Uh, the kind of sequence after the Wisteria Society gets kidnapped, ending in Ned and Cecilia at the inn. Like that whole that just minus like the segment. Yes. <laughs> minus that. I'm just going to pretend that doesn't exist. I liked it. I, I think it was an efficient use of, like jumping forward in time I, I liked that they it felt natural for them to like get right up to the line yeah. and not actually pass it because mm -hmm. like she was drunk and he was like i'm not gonna do this yeah that does lead me into my favorite moment i have two ned not being able to handle the only one bed thing at the end because they get to the end there's only they're pretending to be a married couple so there's only one bed and he's just like cannot cope and he's just like i need you to get in bed now and i need to go like take a take a cold shower like <laughs> i can't deal and i'm trying to be a gentleman i mean she was kind of trying to get it yeah she was it was just it was a delightful hysterical scene yeah. and then i also thoroughly enjoyed the sex scene just I, it's okay. one of my it's one of my more favorite sex scenes because it's not just like it's not just about the act mm -hmm. there's playfulness and emotions and yeah it's not just it's like it's not just you couldn't just condense a couple paragraphs into they fuck right because there's character development there and they're realizing how they actually feel about each other and yeah we get the fantastic line of cecilia don't apologize for orgasming Yep. Hysterical line. Loved it. So there's just like, yeah. there's some fun. And for the one sex scene in the book, I think that it didn't, sometimes when there's only one scene, it does sort of feel out of place. But in this, yeah. it doesn't. No. Because there is that undercurrent of also plot is happening at the same time because yeah. they're exploring each other right. emotionally. Yeah, I think, I think it worked pretty well. Um, rating. I think, what did I give Red, White, and Royal Blue? I actually don't remember. Was that a five or was that a four? I think it was probably a four. I think it was a four. So I'm going to give this one a 3.75. Okay. More specific than I would usually go. But I think what holds it back from a four is uh, one, Cecilia. Mm -hmm. I just don't like her as much as I liked either Alex or um, Henry. Henry. Uh, she just goes back and forth. It's not, it's not great. And then I think there's just a bit too much absurdity. So when we did Red One Royal Blue, you did actually sort of have two ratings, if I remember correctly. You like had like you four stars was or three stars was like your enjoyment of it, yeah. and five stars was like the writing and just the quality oh, okay. of the story. So you yeah, averaged that's at true. four. That's true. So like enjoyment of the story, what would your rating be? I'd say a four. Okay. I, I like my my romance scale is like cut in half, right? I Because I, I don't generally like the genre, so my expectations for what I enjoy out of it are lower. That's not to say my expectations for what a book is in, a, in the romance genre is lower, just like what I personally expect my mm -hmm. enjoyment level to be yeah. is lower. So it, it hits a four on that scale. Writing, the, the plot and the writing and the characterization, I think, falls solidly to a three. Okay. Maybe a, you know, maybe a, maybe a 2.75 if we need to make the averages work, but they're weighted differently. Yeah, they're weighted differently. Like, overall, I think it's like a 3.75 for me. Yeah. Okay. I rated it five stars, which is why I had you read it. Yeah. I think this is uh, the biggest, well, I mean, it's the second book we've had, it's the biggest deviation we've had yet, because we, we both liked Red, Red, and Royal blue a lot i love red white and royal blue red white and royal blue to me is like seven stars yeah it's like 10 but no irrational numbers but no irrational numbers and my rating system only goes up to five so it's a five star book but it's really a six star book <laughs> yeah mine is a 3.75 like it's it's above what i 
It's above my perception of average, mm-hmm. which is a three, and it's close to just solidly good, but it it lands on the wrong foot. It's got a couple of other things wrong that I think hold it back from that. Very fair. But all in all, a solid showing. Um, just trying to think of the tropes that are we've mentioned. Only one bed. Only one bed. How did you feel about only one bed? Um, it wasn't obnoxious. Okay. Like they didn't like this was tame. focus on it. There, yeah, this was a tame only one bed. Yeah. It was a actually I'm going to actually sleep on the floor thing. Yeah. And, like, it wasn't weird that there was only one bed. Sometimes you see only one bed in, like, TV shows and movies where it's like, what the fuck? Like, clearly this only exists because you want the you want it to plot-wise. Yes. <laughs> and, like, here there were other reasons. Like, there were good. It was, it was well justified. They are... It is also sort of an enemies to lovers. But okay. in the more traditional sense of enemies because they are on different sides of something. Yeah. It's like enemies is in, sort like... sort of not really. It, well, he is hired to kill her. But... Not, he's and not kidnap going to do, her. But he's not. I mean, he does actually kidnap her. But his his goal is not to be her enemy. No, but neither is Romeo and Juliet's goals. They want to get married, but they're, it's still enemies. That's fair. It's it's a lower tier enemies to lovers. Yeah, or lower intensity. Yeah, lower intensity, not tier. But I think that's yeah, the only one it, that I. It's an absurd book, so it doesn't have necessarily the same tropes. Right. So. Um, historical versus contemporary. <sighs> Hard to say. I've only read one book from each. Okay. Like, if I had to pick based on the two books, I'm going to pick Contemporary. Okay. But that's just partially because I think Red, White, and World Blue is better. Very fair. So I'll have to read more of each to figure out if I... Just try to... This is is the segment that I'm loosely calling trying to figure out what Will's ideal romance novel is. (laughs) Yeah. Not a romance novel. (laughs) This was closer to not a romance novel. It was closer to not a romance novel. You are correct. So that is... That is it. Yeah, this, that was the Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels. Two weeks, Dragon Reborn. Yes, that will be coming out big, on February 1st. Big, big book. Big Twice book. as long as this one, although not the longest Wheel of Time book. No, it's not. It's a chonker in comparison to what I normally read. It is, it is a thin book compared to what you usually read. Yeah, the, the most recent epic fantasy I read was... Uh, Rhythm of War, which is like over twice the length of The Dragon Reborn. Yeah, if I hit someone with a book that I was reading, it would annoy them. It would annoy them. If it was a hardcover, it might knock them out. Your book might, your books might kill people. Yeah, they're, they're, they're big boys. They're big boys. (laughs) You excited for The Dragon Reborn? I am. I think I'm excited. We've seen the show now. Yeah, I've seen the show. I think I'm excited for The Dragon Reborn. I think, I don't know if that's partially just because The Dragon Reborn. I don't know if it's because some of the show left a sour taste in my mouth, so I need to... You need the original Wheel of Time. Yeah, I need the original Wheel of Time. I also just need land. I think there's more land in this book. There better be, because there was a criminal criminal lack of land. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I've said it before. Dragon Reborn is not a Rand book, despite being titled him. Yeah, that is weird. But so, all right. We'll see you in two weeks. Season three. Season three. Let's do it. Bye. Bye.